0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So last week we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2, and as we did, I asked the question, why pray? Why pray? And so there was a lot of reasons you kind of talked amongst yourselves for a little while. You came up with these reasons why to pray, and the one answer I asked you to consider is, why pray? Well, because of Opposition. So we pray because of internal opposition, our own struggles, and external opposition, like from those who are ruling over us, because what we want is we want not for them to make life oppressive, but for us to be able to live a quiet life where we can share the faith through which God will grow his kingdom. Also, the opposition of false teachers, like the the man whose name is Hymenius, or Hymenaeus, however you want to say it. And this man is one who said that the resurrection, not Jesus' resurrection, but the general resurrection, had already happened along with other things. And that was that wrong teaching, that false teaching, was really messing with the church there that Timothy was, was working with. Okay, this week we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as we do this, I want us to also think about considering opposition, the end of Paul's letter to Timothy contains language similar to that which, with which Timothy begins. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, I think it talks about waging war. And here in verse 12, we have fight the good fight of the faith. And so I want us to ask the question, what is the good fight of the faith? And as we think about that today, I want you to consider that it would be to live God's way. To live God's way. Would you say those three words with me? To live God's way. So fight the good fight of the faith. And so first I just want you to think about of the faith, of the Christian faith. Okay, But then fight the good fight of that faith, which is to continually depend upon our Savior Jesus. So the first word, live. Now I'm convicted when I think of others wanting what I have. I have life. I am to live that life. And you know what I oftentimes do? I live as though I'm merely existing. I go around with super high expectations of myself and oftentimes others. And when I don't meet those expectations for myself and others, I lose sight of Jesus. I'm focused on myself. I become miserable and difficult to live with. Right? (laughs) She's holding her head as still as possible. I think I'm hard to live with because I live inside. It's a miserable place to be. Okay, And so if you do that, how many of us tend to forget all the benefits that we have in Christ? I'm the only one. Wow. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. bless this holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins. Who heals all your diseases who crowns you with love and compassion, who's redeemed your life from the pit. All those things are true of us, and I wonder how it would impact our living if we actually remembered that on a daily basis. Yes, no? That makes sense to you? I think it's so easy for us to get so caught up in this short-term, right now, what's wrong with me, or what's wrong with my circumstances? That we lose sight of the bigger, bigger picture. Early in that reading that was read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about that we, are, we brought nothing into this world and will take nothing out of it to remind us that this life is temporary, but this is not all that there is. Okay? This life is temporary, but it's not all. It talks about in verse 19 about the life that is truly life. That's that life where we will live and reign with Jesus, new heavens and a new earth. That's our future. That's what Jesus won for us on the cross when he said, it is finished. That's what he did. He finished the work that needed to be done for you and for me for that life. Do we ever have just a small picture that we need to have expanded? By remembering who God is and what he's done and what he continues to do for us, so we might live well. Now, if we do this, as we're living well, eyes on what God has done for us. One thing that's going to happen is in verse uh, seventeen it says, "As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty." So let's talk a little bit about attitude, our our thoughts. It says, as for those who are rich in this world, now we have to admit, if we go to other places, if we go to other places down south or in other places of the world, could you admit with me that we are rich? Even those who are poor among us, Okay, if I went to other nations with you and looked around, okay, we would discover that even the poorest among us have a great amount of wealth compared to the people that Pat and I saw in the garbage dump in Guatemala where the kids were fighting with the... Not fighting, but on the same garbage dump pile with the goats and the vultures flying around, searching through the garbage to have something to live. Okay? It talks about here, if we have food and clothing, we should be content. You know what the really great news is? All of you are fully clothed. And none of you look like you've really missed that many meals. No offense or anything, we're all fine. But, like, right, we... We haven't missed meals because if we miss meals, we probably chose to miss them, right? Okay. And so we're really abundantly taken care of. And so it says, don't be haughty. So I I know I've done the four boxes with you before, but I just want to remind you again. So four boxes kind of help us with our mindset. So first, something happens. We all had lots of things happen. Something happens, and there's the most important second box. Then there's the third box about how we feel about what happened. Then there's the fourth box, how we respond to what happened based on our feelings, and our feelings are based on what? What's the second box? What's the story we tell ourselves? What's our mindset? What's our attitude? How many of us, when we look at people, other places, other situations, and we say, you know what, if they just got their act together... If they, wouldn't, if they had made better decisions, if they were better people, if they were blah blah, blah 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 blah, all those different things, right? We begin to look at people. Do you ever have this where people, maybe sometimes us or those who look at us, look at us with a condescending look? Or do you ever look at those who are maybe in some trouble right now with some condescension? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be haughty. Sometimes we say, I am what I am because I've worked really hard. And I always love to bring up Sandy. Sorry, I don't usually use you in my messages. Okay? But you know, I firmly believe that if Sandy could work, she would work. And she would like it a thousand times more than having to not work. Huh. Who gave you the ability to do what you do? Who gave you the brain that works? Who gave you the body that works? Who provided everything for you? Who gave you a stable home so you could actually learn some things while you were young? Who provided the opportunities for you to do what you do? Who put you in this land so you could actually thrive instead of being somewhere else where you might not be able to? Hmm. Maybe we don't have so much to boast in about ourselves. Maybe we've been blessed. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Maybe to live God's way, first we have to live humbly. Philippians reminds us to consider others better than ourselves or consider the needs and interests of others before our own. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul's not even judging himself, and he says, stop comparing yourselves with others. For the longest time, and I still struggle with it today, there would always be this need to compare myself with someone else. Do you do that? I have discovered, and maybe I'm wrong on this one, but I just want to check. When you're busy comparing yourself with other people, does that, does that put you on the road or does that drop you in one of the ditches? Okay, The road is following Jesus, living God's way. Okay, When I compare, I usually live in despair because I'm not near as good as somebody else. Or I'm like, oh, I'm way better than they are. It doesn't put me on the road. It puts me in despair. It puts me in pride. Does that happen to you? We don't need to be the mindset of comparing ourselves, right? And then this whole idea of living, it talks also about being good and doing good works and being generous. And what I want you to think about with that is, what does it mean to be good and generous? Well, part of that is to flee what it says in, in, uh, earlier in the lesson before we get to our text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 says this. There are people out there who are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men and of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Part of doing good and being generous is losing that mindset, fleeing away from our need to be right. How many of us have a need to be right I got to win. I got to be right. I'm so insecure if I don't get it right, if it's not about me being right, I can't handle it. And I wonder how many of us didn't actually raise our hands because, well, I don't want people to think that of me. So we flee those things about being. And how many just check yourself on this? How many of us that the most important deciding factor about what I do in life is based on money? Everything is run through the financial grid. Now, do I and does God, do we want you to be responsible with your money? Yes. Do we want you to be good stewards or managers of what really all belongs to him? Yes. But do we have to run everything through the mindset of finances? No, we don't actually. But I wonder if we do. Do we ever let Money. You know, it says in Scripture, right, you cannot serve God and money. And so if they're on the same level, that's probably not a good thing, right? Before I go to the next part, I want to go back with something because I I just saw a note I wanted to make sure I shared with you. And that is, it says in here, uh, God who provides us with everything to enjoy. How many of you, when you were kids, you were told, now, say thank you. <laughs> right, all of us, right? That's why we're responsible, okay? That's like, oh, parents were good. They shared, now, go say you're thankful. Go say thank you. Okay, now, how many of you, when you would do that, would just be like, thanks, or thanks? <laughs> but you don't really care. I wonder if God, yes, he wants us to say thank you, Okay. Thank you to God for all the good gifts that you provide. Like that story of the ten lepers who were healed, only one went back to say thanks to God, right? But what I want you to think about is, I wonder if God simply receives so much joy as he sees us thankfully and gratefully enjoying the good gifts God gives to us. Do you ever enjoy it when you give a gift and you watch the person not take it back and get something else that they really wanted, but they actually enjoy what you gave them? Do you ever give a child a gift and they're out there playing with it and having such a great time and you just take great joy in having given that gift? That's what God does. He gives you all these gifts and he says, I want you to enjoy them. They're for you. I gave them to you. Oh, and by the way, don't just use them for you. Bless all these people around you. Which is, I think, what's happening when we're fleeing from those things that we're supposed to flee and when we're pursuing what God says to us. Verse 11 of our, of our lesson today says this. I'm sorry, yeah, 11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Righteousness is what we have in Jesus. Love is what we have when we live in God's love. Is sacrificial perfect love for us. We live in that. And so we pursue him. I have a question for you. There's all these things we can pursue. In this text, it's really easy to see that we shouldn't pursue wealth. Let wealth be the end all be all. And you know, nobody, I I don't know any maybe you do secretly at home at night. You take one dollar bills and you sit them up and you're like, I'm so happy, you know, and you kind of pack your I don't know if you do that. That would be weird. Okay. So but Most of us don't really want money for money's sake. We want money for power, right? We want money so we feel in control. How many of us feel like really confident before God and before others when we've got a nice hefty bank account? But if we don't have that, we're freaking out. Is that true? That's true, right? And so I wonder, it's not that we love just, I just love this money, this stack of cotton or whatever it is. But what we love is the feeling of control that money gives us, the feeling of empowerment I get to do for these other people, which sometimes gets us into problems, right? That haughty spirit we can have. How many of us, when we give to others, we're like, yeah, I'm really helping them out. I'm really great. Look how wonderful I am. And that's why we don't receive from other people, right? Because that makes us look bad, because that's how we see other people who need help from us. That's a little messed up, isn't it? So we pursue Jesus, who is our righteousness. We pursue Jesus, who loves us to the nth degree. And this is how we live God's way. This is how we fight the good fight of faith, how faith leads the way. We pursue Him who gives us all our gifts. And finally, those, some of those words are just like we find in the fruit of the Spirit. So as I'm pursuing Jesus and the Spirit is working, the Spirit produces those things in us. I'm reminded of how I think about character defects now. I want to take my character defects and give them to God because I've tried forever and I just can't seem to get anything done. So to God, here you go. And I'll just be about seeking you and loving my neighbor. And you know, when I'm busy seeking God and loving my neighbor, I have less time for character defects. Have you discovered that too? Living God's way. And then... I'm going to share a little bit also about trusting God, not our finances. Not our goodness as a means to financial gain. Not our effort, but living the L. Trusting God, loving our neighbor. It's not about trusting those things. Again, good works are great. Generosity is great. We just don't trust that God loves us for those things. We trust Him. Secondly, living God's way. Sometimes what I want us to do is remember who God is. Do you ever get so focused on yourself and your circumstances that you forget God? Did that happen this week? Yeah. It's pretty easy, right? So focused on this, I lose sight of Him. But in our text for today, it reminds us of just how great God is. God who gives life to all things. And that's not just creation and sustaining, but that's future, everlasting, resurrected life one day. And as we think about this God, I want us to think about who He is and who He is not. And so There's a book that I've read a little bit to some of the folks that are in various Bible classes. And this uh, book is called Free of Charge by Miroslav Volf. So whenever you deal with whatever your name is, okay, just maybe be thankful that your name's not Miroslav Volf. Because I tried to say that really fast at Concordia today and somebody said, what? They didn't get it. So Miroslav Volf is hard to say three times fast. He writes this book called Free of Charge. He speaks about God. There's a couple of different ideas that are prevalent in our culture that are not the right idea of who God is. One is God the negotiator. And there's a scene in the movie Amadeus, and I was trying to find one of these last night so you could watch it, but I couldn't find it, in which the renowned Viennese composer Antonio Salieri, as a boy, kneels before a crucifix and tries to make a bargain with God. "'Lord, make me a great composer!' Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God. Make me immortal. What will God get for doing him the favor? In return, I vow I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility, every hour of my life, and I will help my fellow man all I can. The problem with God as negotiator is what do you have that God needs? Yeah, less than that. Less than nothing. There's, you have nothing God needs, so in negotiating, you're not going to be in a good position. Isn't it great that our God loves to give? So then you think, oh, I want to see God as Santa Claus. So some people are constantly trying to make deals with God, bargaining with God to get what they want. Okay? You do this for me, I'll do that for you. But that's not how God works. Some people see him as Santa Claus. You know what? God just delights in giving. So I might as well just keep asking and just keep getting. The problem with the Santa Claus idea is then it just tends to be all about me. Right? It's not that we exalt Santa Claus. We're just thankful for all the gifts. (laughs) Don't we love it when Santa Claus comes and then he goes again? We don't really want Santa Claus around telling us what to do. We just want him to bring the gifts and get out of here. Right? That's not how God operates. And yet I wonder if in our daily life we operate either with God as negotiator or God as Santa Claus. It's really hard to live God's way when we don't know who in the world God really is. Right? Because both God as negotiator and God as Santa Claus put me in control. I'm going to do this to get what I want. Here's my long Christmas lift. give it, gift. Give it to me. I wrote down just a couple of things I want you to think about. Who is our God? He is a compassionate, saving, sacrificial, giving, perfectly loving king. And he calls us to live our lives as beggars who simply receive from him for the sake of our neighbor. Finally, live God's way. Way. Can you put the little little picture up? I have this picture in my office. And I... Can you see it all right? So what we have here is a man with some scrolls. And blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the sinners. And that whole Psalm 1 story. And as we're in the word of God, like he's got that scroll right in front of him. It's it's like rivers of water. Okay. Let me read Psalm 1 to you as you look at that. And as you look at it in in here, it's much harder to see on, um, on on the picture, on the painting. But here, it's pretty easy to see. But look, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Think for just a moment. When that man is in that, in that word, it's like that tree by the rivers of water bearing abundant fruit. The contrast of the two ways, one leads to abundant fruit. That's living God's way. The other leads to chaff. I've explained chaff to you before, right? That's like the skin around a kernel or a seed. If I blew this hard, I would blow the chaff off my hand pass, probably past the communion rail. It's light. There's nothing to it. So I can either walk, live God's way or this other way. And you know what it says about this other way? It talks about the uncertainty of riches. It talks about, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Living God's way, the way that either leads to life, that life that is truly life, or leads to destruction and a wandering away from the faith, away from the faith, the trust in the one who loves us so much and is intimately involved in our way. You know, when I think of way, I can't help but remember John 14, 6. For we're reminded that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. So if I want to walk or live God's way, I remember Jesus. And you know, I love to tell you this. Jesus already lived your life for you perfectly. Right? Right? He was baptized for you. He lived his life in place of you. He died your death for you. So now he could say that you are righteous before God because he did it. All of his perfection is credited to your account. Isn't that awesome? So when you say, I just can't live God's way. Is that true? No. Because you can always live God's way by walking with Jesus. Remember those two parts? Abiding and repenting. That's how we walk His way. Amen? Amen.